Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. We're starting Revelation 3 today, zooming through the book of Revelation, and we're up to Sardis, the city of Sardis, a dead church in need of a revival, a dead church and desperately in need of a revival. Revelation 3, 1 to 3, we're going to do today. Uh, a dead church. Have you ever been part of a really dead church? Uh, unfriendly, you go in, it's unfriendly. The worship hymns are like a funeral dirge. The sermons put you to sleep. You're, you're sleeping. Or maybe you're part of a church that really did die. It had gone through its, uh, no longer had critical mass. It ended up closing its doors and, and, and ending the church, uh, closing the church up. Some can be part of a natural life cycle. There's a natural life cycle to a church, just like there's to somebody's life, just like there's to anything, business. There is a natural life cycle. Sometimes it's because of demographics. The demographics just change so much that things are different. Uh, and, but even then you can still, that church can still bless the kingdom of God. They, many churches, when they close, they sell their buildings and give them to missions and missionaries. Others, uh, help plant a new church. Some others I've seen that donate the church to another group that's come in. The demographics have changed and they donate it to a new group that, that, that has moved into the community. Uh, see that a lot of times, but far too often, churches don't end up blessing anybody. They die because they're cold spiritually. They get cold spiritually. They, there's fighting and division inside the church. And there's really nothing positive to come out of it. And we're going to see a dead church like that here in Revelation 3 today. Revelation 3. Jesus is writing seven letters to seven churches in the province of Asia. There's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. We're going to see the first two parts of that today. And there's a lot of parallels to our churches, I'm sure, and to the USA Today with this one. Wait till you hear. We're going to probably take three different uh, talks on this one to get through it. So let's pray. Father, I just pray for your mercy and grace. We pray for your Holy Spirit's power to speak to us and to convict us. And Lord, whatever needs convicting, whatever needs changing in our life, we pray that your Spirit's conviction would do that. The power of the Holy Spirit would do that. And if anybody has never put their faith in you, that they would put their faith in you because of this letter to the church in Sardis. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the three verses we're going to cover today. We're going to do the next couple next couple of times. But uh, to, the to the angel of the church in Sardis write... These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you." Woo. Okay, so verse 1 again, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have, uh, well, I'll just stop right there. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, he's writing the seven, letter, seven letters to seven churches. Um, uh, I'll, I'll leave that other part out. So Sardis. Sardis is 30 miles from Thyatira. If you look at the map here, you see where Sardis is. It's 30 miles from Thyatira, which we looked at last time. It's on a river. It's on the river of Pactolus. And gold had run down from the mountains in this river through Sardis. And that's why it became the capital of Lydia. The uh, king, uh, the king Croesus, 
uh, Cre I'm sorry, Croesus, it's actually pronounced Croesus, King Croesus was famous for his wealth. He found, you know, he, all this gold was accumulating right there in the river and they became very uh, famous for wealth. In fact, Aesop's was, lived in Sardis at that time, Aesop's Fables lived here. And the, um, the, the King Cyrus and the Persians ended up conquering this city in 548 BC. He defeated Croesus in 548 BC and took all the gold. And I just interesting article I just saw that I want to read a few highlights from. It's Martin Snap called All That Glitters, Uncovering Sardis, Ancient City of Gold. Talked about Croesus, the king of Lydia, uh, the, the river, Pactolus River, which flowed through the capital. Um, the people of Lydia, they were the first ones to mint coins of gold and silver. Happened here, the people of Lydia, before this king, but, but there was so much gold found that they kept on doing it. They minted the gold and the silver coins. The first ones were, were started here, wealthy, you know, known for its gold. But it all came to end one day in the year 547 A.D. when Cro Croesus <laughs> was overthrown and Sardis destroyed by the army of Cyrus the Great, leader of the rising Persian Empire. Real interesting little aside story to this. Before declaring war on Persia, Croesus, he started the war, Croesus had consulted the oracle at Delphi and asked if it was a good idea. The oracle, this is a prophet there at Delphi, the oracle replied with a typically cryptic message, if Croesus goes to war, he will destroy a great empire. Croesus assumed the oracle meant that the Persian Empire and was going to be destroyed, so he went off to war. He was defeated. Didn't turn out the way he thought. Afterwards, he sent another messenger to Delphi and said, What the? <laughs> Why did the oracle mislead me? And the oracle, the prophet replied, prophetess, whoever was there, it's all demonic, replied, Apollo declared to him that if he led an army against the Persians, he would destroy a great empire. Therefore, he ought, if he had wanted to plan well, to have asked whether the gods spoke of Croesus or Cyrus' empire. <laughs> but he did not understand what was spoken or make further inquiry, for which he now only has himself to blame. Don't come after me. It's your own fault. Isn't that interesting? But So, Croesus uh, is conquered 548 B.C. and they took all the gold, all the gold. They came and got that gold. Um, and Alexander the Great later on took it. And then finally Antiochus the Great was, well, not finally, there's another one later, but Anti then after that Antiochus the Great sacked it in 214 B.C. 214 B.C. So 548, 214. Uh, then in 17 A.D. an earthquake flattened Sardis. But Tiberius, the emperor Tiberius, helped rebuild it. It became uh, and was and became even bigger as a, a commercial town. It was known for manufacturing, especially working with wool. The art of dyeing wool was discovered here. There's still, you look at pictures of Sardis Day, you'll see lots of sheep on the hills. Still, the art of dyeing wool was discovered here in Sardis. Keep that in mind because we're coming back to all these things. It's setting something up. And he says... Here, the seven spirits, uh, Jesus says the seven spirits, we talked about how that is the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit, and the seven stars representing the seven churches, uh, the seven churches, and which represent all the churches all throughout history, and our church today, and your church today, speaking to each one of us, a special message. But, here we go. He says the good, 
He first of all starts out with a good in 1b where he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. <laughs> I, th- this is the good. This is the good. This is all the good that Jesus has to say about him. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. That's the only good that he can speak about him. Now, that's really not a very positive message, is it? All I can say about you is you have a good reputation. (laughs) You have a good reputation. Reputation is what others think of us. That's our reputation, what other people think of us. But God knows our deeds. Our deeds. He, he knows our character. Our character, reputation is what other people think about us. Our character is like what we're, is what we really are. Who we really are when no one else is around. That's our character. God knows that. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know who you really are. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They had a good reputation, but God knew what they, their character and deeds, what they were really like, and what they were really doing. And that's where we get the bad. Verse, uh, I'm going to read it again. Yet you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So we see the bad here. He says, you're dead. <laughs> that's pretty bad. Uh, the, 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 the Greek here is literally, you're a corpse. Jesus says, you're a corpse. <laughs> Not, ooh, how'd you like me, your church to be called that? A corpse. The, the church of the corpse. Right? Uh, Sardis was famous for its wealth, remember? And the commerce. But in reality, by this time, it was already in decline. It was already going through a bear market. It was a dying city. And as a result of being a dying city at the time of, of Jesus writing this letter to the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle John, the time of writing this letter, they had become preoccupied with death. That's right. They had built this huge necropolis seven miles away, a, a burial place. It was called the City of the Dead. This is what they had built seven miles away. They could even see it from up on the cliff. They could see this city of the dead. And it, it was called the city of a thousand hills because there was a thousand mounds, burial mounds. They would build these intricate mounds and put the person inside and they'd build a big mound over them and put all the treasures and all this stuff inside. And today there's hundreds of mounds left. Most of them have been eroded or robbed or flattened uh, for different reasons. But it, it was the city, the city was up on this cliff and it was de- Focused on dying. It was on, it was a dying city. Think of Gondor in Lord of the Rings. Have you ever watched Lord of the Rings or read Lord of the Rings? Uh, Gondor was up on this cliff and that's the same as this city here. It was up on this cliff, but it was, Gondor was dying. It would, they'd been focused on death. Remember the, the steward, not the king, but the steward there was, his whole focus was on death. And the, and the, as a result, the, the city was really starting to crumble. And you can see the picture. You can see the picture of Sardis. And you can see what's left of it. You can picture how that one time that looked like Gondor. If you saw the movie, and amazing what they did with that, the, the, the visual with that. But that's really a picture. Gond- think Gondor, think Sardis. That's what it was like. But this, this focus on death, it was a corpse. Sardis was a corpse. The church was a corpse. It was focused on dying the city. That same mentality had infected the church. And the church was also in decline, spiritually dying, as we're going to see, spiritually dying. There's a lot to talk about here with the USA Today, isn't there? We can really easily, easily apply this to the church in the USA Today. We have a, the church in the U.S. has a big reputation. We have these massive buildings everywhere. But the church is dying. It's in decline. 
Christianity in the U.S. is is dying out slowly but surely. Dying out. Churches are well. This church is growing. That church is growing. They're just these churches are only growing because people are shopping and hopping. There's no more new. There, there's not. There's no increase in the population of with Christians in the population. It, the, the number of Christians is going down, down, down. In fact. True Christians, it's, it's microscopic. They, only 6% of all Americans have a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is a very basic worldview based on the Bible. Very, very basic. <clears throat> that almost says there's not, not too many Christians left. If only 6% of a biblical worldview, those are the only ones we can know for sure. The rest, shaky ground, shaky ground. Where are you? Uh, <clears throat> so the church is impressive. I remember when I was in India. I did a mission trip to India and I was helping train their evangelists and church planters there with Gospel for Asia. Tremendous organization. And I remember being there and I remember they were so impressed with us. And these other pastors I was with were like bragging about the American churches and how well they're doing. And they were just so impressed with us. And I remember... uh, I remember these other guys went off to another. I was I didn't feel well. I was sick, and I had to stay longer at this one site where hundreds of evangelists, church planners were. And the and the other guys left. And after they left, I was finally feeling well enough to speak. And I said, "Listen, guys, everything they said is good. Learn the Bible from them, but don't don't listen to what they said about the American church. We're dead. We're dying. We need to become like you." <laughs> You should become like the American church. Like they, these other guys were trying to encourage them to become like the American church. Don't become like us. Don't change a thing. You're doing it right. These guys would get up four in the morning and, and, and pray and memorize scripture and they would go out every day on the streets witnessing and, and preaching and it was, they, they just were on fire. I said, we're nothing like you. We have a big buildings and a big reputation, but you guys are on fire. And sure enough, the church in India is continuing to, to move forward. Gospel for Asia has a, had a huge impact on that. And yet the American church decline, dying, 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 slowly dying. Uh, I remember when I did a ministry for four years, I did had a revival ministry. It was called Stand in the Gap Ministries. It was a revival or evangelistic ministry. And I would churches would invite me and I would go into these huge churches. They were huge buildings and there'd be 20 people in them. And huge, many, millions of dollars buildings and there'd be 20 people in these. These churches were, were, were just barely hanging on. And that is a picture. About a third of American churches are dying uh, and it, it's, it's going to die out. It, it's just, a, a, that is the, the American. And the, I think the main poison pill that we swallowed I think one of the worst things that happened to the American church, I remember back in the 80s, uh, there was this big movement, church growth, church growth. We got to do church growth. And they took on all these worldly methods and, and marketing the church. And, 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 the, and it killed the church. The, the, the human strategies and the flesh that were involved. I remember the stuff that we would go to these conferences and they'd train us stuff. They, they didn't use the Bible. They used marketing tools from the business world. And, it, and it, would just, it just killed it. One of the main ones to come out of this whole movement was the Willow Creek Willow Creek with Pastor Bill Hybels, the seeker-friendly church, the seeker-sensitive church. And it became the church. I remember when it became the church, and, and I went to one of their conferences and bought the book and read it, and everybody tried to be like Willow Creek and the seeker-sensitive church. That was the answer to America's church growth, is, is become seeker-sensitive. 
not spirit sensitive, but seeker sensitive. What do people want to hear? What do they, what do they, what do they want to hear? That's what you have to give them. And I, I remember I saw the first crack with Willow Creek. I was out in Chicago and then I was, uh, anyway, I was out that way and I got to visit it. But I remember seeing the first crack when, in the first, warning and red flag when when there was a pastor's conference at Willow Creek. I didn't go to it, but I heard all about it, read all about it. And Bill Hybels brought in President Clinton. And President Clinton had just been caught in in adultery with Monica Lewinsky scandal. And it was a big deal. But he was like, he reached out to several people. Tony Campolo exposes a fraud now. And he reached out to, to... Bill Hybels to be his spiritual counselors and help him learn to deal with his sexual sin. And he says, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I went to a born-again church. Turned out the church he went to was not, uh, it was a, led by a false teacher and that's a whole other situation. But but he, he brings him in, Bill Hybels brings him in and if you remember, if you were here at that time, you remember President Clinton never repented. He had remorse and he felt bad, but he never re- repented. He never said, as a Christian, I repent. And not, and it, but he, but still, Bill Hybels brings him up in front of this church. Thousands of pastors said, here's your brother in Christ, Bill Clinton and President Clinton, and we need to affirm him as a brother of Christ. He needs our affirmation. And they all got up and cheered. Thousands of pastors got up and cheered. Good thing I wasn't there. Good thing I wasn't there. Because this, there was no sign of repentance in President Clinton. He, forget Monica. I'm not even talking about Monica. I'm talking about his voting record. I'm talking about the fruit. Not judging his character or his heart or anything. I'm talking about the fruit. This guy's voting record was completely against the Bible. He, this is the guy who, who, who okayed the partial birth abortion. You know, that, that you could deliver a baby all the way out except for its head and then stick a scissors in his head and suck out their brains. He okayed this. He and his wife, Hillary. I, I, that's, right then I started calling them Ahab and Jezebel. I knew it then that that's who they really were. They were, they were not Christians. They were frauds. They were fakes. They were, they were leading the country on a dangerous path and it's continued to this day. And, and this, he, his voting record was completely, Bill Hybel should have confronted him. Those pastors should have, you know, shouted, you know, repent, repent for killing these babies. You're supposed to be a Christian president. Are you kidding me? And I'll never forget Rusty Lee Thomas, who started Operation Rescue. He would go to abortion clinics and try to save babies. He got his team together and went right to Willow Creek. And the next Sunday, they were waiting outside with the same signs they were carried out to the Planned Parenthood. And they had the same signs, pictures of babies that were aborted. Repent. You know, we have to, America has to repent of abortion. They showed up outside of our church. We asked him in and I'd have him speak. You know, I've heard him speak. He's a tremendous speaker. Uh, but I haven't asked him in and have him speak. We totally agree with his message. But you know what they did at Willow Creek? They wouldn't let him in. Oh, no. Uh, and, and he said he never got so many curses. They were cursing at them. Going into Willow Creek, in other words, cursing at them. Middle fingers, gestures, you know, just treated them like garbage. All because, They should have been done that with, with President Clinton. That's who they should have been, you know, turning on and, and, and confronting him, not Operation Rescue, a Christian organization. And, but that's when I knew. 
That's what I knew. And, it, and it's only been confirmed more and more over time that Willow Creek, turns out, it was a world-friendly church. They were seeker-sensitive instead of being spirit-sensitive. Many years later, not too long ago, Bill Hybels wrote a book saying, he, I made a mistake. I can't remember the title now, but I made a mistake. We didn't produce disciples of Jesus Christ in this church. We just got, we increased the numbers, but we didn't produce disciples. He, he admitted that, which was great, but it was too late because the poisonous toxins had already spread throughout our the country and permeated the church in the USA. And it turns out that Bill Hybels reputation didn't match his character. Didn't match his character. The same guy who was counseling President Clinton on sexual purity, and we all know how that turned out. He's, uh, you've been following the Epstein story. We all know how that turned out. Uh, but but he, he was, Bill Hybels who was supposed to be counseling him, was recently fired for his secret sinful, sexual double life that was exposed. And I'm not, I'm not trying to judge him because that, that could happen to anybody. But the point is, it's systematic. Systemic. <laughs> systemic here is what we're talking about. And Jesus says here in verse 2, to wake up. He's talking to the church today. In verse 2, he says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. Wake up. Strengthen what is, remains and is about to die. If you, if uh, the EMS shows up because somebody is uh, having a heart attack or something's going on, they show up, the first thing they do is stabilize the victim. The church needs to be stabilized. The church is in a desperate, desperate state. It's vital that we have to act. Jesus says, I have not found your deeds complete. The Sardians... The sardines, but I'm going to call them the sardines. <laughs> I'm going to start referring to them as the sardines. Sardines are dead fish. The sardines were just sardines, dead fish spiritually. They were not good at completing. The deeds weren't complete. They weren't good at finishing. They, the, the, the sardines as a, a city started a lot of things and didn't finish it. They started a temple to Artemis, but they never finished it. We'll talk about that a little later when you, I'll show you some pictures. But the culture had infected the church and what and, and they had become just lazy, just like the sardines. The church in, in Sardia had become sardines also. That's what Christianity is all about, finishing. It's all about perseverance. Perseverance, like he says here. You remember, remember what Paul said, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. It's all about perseverance. Our kids just brought home report cards. Whoa, they did amazing. It's the best we've ever done. Was thrilled. But many times when they come home, it's, it's not quite as thrilling. It's often a wake-up call for many parents and kids when they get that report card. You told me you were getting all A's. <laughs> you, you know, this is not all A's. You know what I mean? And, or, or you said you were passing everything. This is not passing everything. And what about us? What about our spiritual report card? Their spiritual report card, and the sardines' spiritual report card was a foul. What about our spiritual report card? What, what would Jesus write to us in a letter? What would God write to us? What would be the good? What would be the bad? Does our reputation match our character? What people think about us, we, God and, only God and, and we know our character. What we're really like. Maybe our family knows a lot of it too. There, there's another one. How are we at home, right? But, but does our reputation match our character? What are our deeds when we're alone? 
when we're alone in the house, when we're alone with our computer or our TV or our phone, when we're alone at work, when we're alone with that boy or girlfriend, when we're alone with that coworker, when what what goes through our minds? What's going through our minds? Only God knows. God knows. Hebrews four thirteen, uh, where it says, I'm going to read it for you. Hebrews four thirteen. It says, <clears throat> nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him who we must give an account. God sees everything. Ooh, and that, you know, you th- we think we're getting away with something? Think again. Think again. I hope that convicts. So Sardis is a dead church. It's in need of a wake-up call. It's in need of revival. Revival. And that's what verse 3 is all about. We, we Here in verse 3, we see the key to revival, that each one of us needs to take it to heart. Every individual Christian needs a revival. The, each of our churches, New Hope Community Church, in each church, we need revival. The USA Today needs to see the church have a revival. It's in desperate times. Uh, who? It's unbelievably desperate times. We are in danger of going down. We can see it. We can, you don't have to be a prophet to see it. It's very clear from God's word. We are in danger of going down. We are in desperate times. In verse 3, he gives a warning, and I'm going to give you three, three R's out of this warning to remember. Verse 3, remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll know not know at what time I will come to you. <clears throat> he first of all starts out with remember. Remember what you received and heard. Very important. The gospel is great news. The gospel is great news that our sins are forgiven, that we can put our faith in Jesus, that we have, that we, uh, have a brand new life by giving our life to Jesus. It's a second chance that we, that no matter what we've done before, we can put our faith in Jesus, be forgiven, give our life to Him and have a second chance. And then we know that we're going to have a new life here on earth and a life forever in heaven someday. We aren't going to have to worry about hell or death anymore. We know where we're going. We have life now and forever. And it is great news. And when we first get saved, remember how excited you were? You just wanted to tell everyone. A lot of us were obnoxious about it, right? We just wanted to tell everyone. And then also we cool off and we become cool evangelical Christians, right? And we forget our friends. We forget our friends are living this empty life with a huge hole in their soul. We forget about that. And and, and that's why that's why it's important to remember. That's why new Christians are so energizing to a Bible study or to a church or, or to me. They're so energizing because, because it's they just bring this new excitement again. It's like having little kids at Christmas. You know how Christmas your kids grow they're all little kids and they're so excited and Christmas is so excited they become teens and beyond and you just get up and it's just an, almost another day. But then they then they have children. Then there's grandchildren. Woo! It's exciting again. It's exciting. Christmas is exciting. And that's what new Christians are like. Baby Christians uh, are just bringing a whole excitement like a Christmas to the to a church again. That's why they're so important that we lead people to Christ. So he says, remember. And then he says, repent. He says, remember. Therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. That's the second R. The repent. To obey it, we have to obey God's word. The sardines were known for their laziness. Uh, Herodotus, the, the historian Herodotus said, said this about the sardines. All they do, <coughs> excuse me, all they do is play guitars and sell retail. <laughs> all they do is play guitars and sell retail. Sounds a lot like the USA Today, doesn't it? Uh, it, it but this had infected the church. 
It infected the church. It sounds like the church today, doesn't it? Apathetic, just like the culture. The frog in the kettle became just like the culture. And so he says, remember, repent, obey the word, obey God's word. And then he talks about the return of Jesus Christ. For uh, Verse 3, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to. He's talking about that Jesus is coming back again. He's going to come back again. Will it be as our Savior or our judge? We, we, we should be ready for when Jesus comes back. We shouldn't be shocked by it. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But he's coming back. Will it be as a Savior, as a judge? Sar- Sardis was an Acropolis. I've talked about it. It was almost a thousand feet up. You already saw the picture earlier. We looked at the picture of Sardis. It was a thousand feet up. And what would happen is whenever there was a war or a threat, everybody would evacuate to the city and they would be safe because it was safe behind these cliffs. Once again, think of uh, Lord of the Rings. We'll use Helm's Deep. Remember Helm's Deep? The riders of Rohan, whenever they got in trouble, they would pull everybody back into Helm's Deep. And it had never been taken. Same thing with Sardis. It had never been taken, never been beaten. But what happened with, with Helm's Deep was... Wormtongue was a traitor and he went to the wizard Soruman. If you hadn't read any of this, you really missed a great book. But anyway, he went to Soruman and, uh, and Soruman had his orc army and, and he now knew the secret way into Helm's Deep. They, they knew there was a secret place where the water drained in and they could get in and that almost Resulted. Well, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but because uh, you're going to probably read the book and watch the movie now. But anyway, they they but that they had never been beaten, and that is what Sardis was like. It was like Helm's Deep. It had never been taken until the sixth century. I already talked about it, BC when Cyrus and the Persians, the, the Cyrus and the Persians beat the army, beat King Croesus's army, but they couldn't take Sardis because it was untakeable. It was Helm's Deep. It was it was. Uh, it was like uh, Gondor up on the cliff there, and they all pulled in like, ah, ha, 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 we're gonna be, we have no problem. We got lots of food and water sources. Yeah, we're gonna, be, you might as well go home. They're all making fun of these guys, or you know, laughing at them. But one of these, but they were so safe that they weren't real careful. The, they would sleep. The guards would fall asleep at night, and they just weren't really well disciplined because they didn't have to be. It was untakeable, it was an impregnable a fortress. But one of the soldiers was up on the wall, and he was goofing around, and he dropped his helmet over the wall. The helmet went rolling down the hill, and he's like, "I got to go get that helmet because he knew he'd be in trouble with his commander and show up the next day without his helmet. That was, you know, be in trouble." So you know what he did? He climbed over the wall, and he he knew of a secret path. There was a, actually a secret path up to Sardis that you couldn't see. It was like a mountain goat path that you couldn't see. Only the people in Sardis knew about it. He walked that hill at night down and someone saw him and watched where he walked and marked it. And guess what? They said, we know the way into Sardis. And so they took the, the Persians, went and followed that up at, after the guy went, they watched him walk up, the army followed that path all the way up, the goat, goat, mountain goat path all the way up to Sardis, went up over the wall, the guards were sleeping because it was so impregnable, they were sleeping and they took the city, they took the city. 200 years later, Antiochus took it the same way and this was the start of the saying, taken as a thief in the night. That was a common saying in the Roman world, taken as a thief in the night, it was from this city being taken. Um, uh, and of course in the Bible Jesus talks about a thief in the night right but that was the beginning of that saying in the Roman world so the church in Sardis 
had taken on the same sleepy attitude, just like the USA Today. We are just as sleepy spiritually, aren't we? Because we have been warned here that to that Jesus is coming back again. Be ready for that return. We better be ready. But so many are not going to be ready. We should be ready for Jesus coming. It should not surprise us like a thief. In fact, in First Thessalonians 5, verse 1, listen to what Paul says. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Connect the dots. Thief in the night. It will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Remember all the labor pains talks we did at the beginning of this whole series. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We, we can't, he says we can't know the exact day. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 4, study it. We can't know the exact day. Nobody knows that. Only God knows that. But we shouldn't be surprised. Christians shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be caught off guard like a thief coming in the night. We shouldn't be caught off guard. We should recognize the signs. We should see the birth pains. We should be getting ready. And if you aren't seeing them today, you are blind. You are spiritually blind. If we can't see what's happening to our country, if we can't see what's happening in the world, what's being set up. The book of Revelation is coming alive and being fulfilled right before our eyes. If we can't see that, we are spiritually blind. Uh, we, we, we don't know when it's coming, but we know prophetically it's getting close. But many Christians are going to be just as surprised as the world when Jesus comes again. Just like the sardines were surprised. They're going to be just as surprised. They're not going to be ready. They're, they're, not, they're not going to be ready for what's hitting. They're not going to be ready for the tribulation. A lot of people who think they're Christian are going to take the mark of the beast. Why? Because they don't recognize what is going on. They're going to take that 666, fit right in, be able to buy and sell, uh, and they're going to end up in hell. Because they, 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 were, they thought they were Christians, but they weren't. And, and aren't, and they better wake up and truly become a Christian. 6% biblical worldview, 2% of millennials. Woo! Scary millennials. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's crazy. Many Christians are going to be just as surprised. Many so-called Christians are going to be just as surprised as non-Christians when Jesus comes again. We, most churches don't even talk about it or preach about it. They're not even preparing their people for, for what's coming our way in the book of Revelation. Not even preparing them. Completely clueless. Don't even talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the implications for today. Scary. Scary and sad. Uh, I was reading in the Bible, Biblical Archaeological Review. It's a, a Hebrew publication, but I was reading about what happened to Sardis and with the archaeology. And what they found is this is what the archaeologists wrote. They said whatever caused the fiery destruction of Sardis in 640 A.D. They call it C.E., but I still use A.D. Uh, that's when it was finally destroyed. The city of Sardis was. Jesus warned them here about 100 A.D. 648. 640, completely destroyed. Whatever it, came, whatever it was came with little warning. Coins trail from the center of a shop to the doorway making a hasty flight. They found a, a shop and the, the coins they were trying to run out with, they were dropping them as they went to the doorway. It says here, <clears throat> uh, it may have been an earthquake like the one that this devastated in 17 AD. Uh, the emperor Tiberius had provided funds to help rebuild it. But in 640 
No aid came, and for reasons still unknown, no one ever came back to dig for cherished articles or to rebuild. They don't know. The city was completely destroyed. The people were never came back, which means they were probably all killed. They were probably all killed. They don't know what happened to it. Earthquake invasion, we don't know, but something wiped this out. It was never rebuilt. And this warning, we've been talking about the second coming, is a picture. What happened to Sardis is a picture of end times. What's going to happen to this earth? The fiery end. Sardis and the, what happened to Sardis and this letter to Sardis and the second coming are prophetic of what we're going to see when Jesus comes again, the day of the Lord. First Peter, first Peter 3, 3 and 4. Listen to this. First of all, first Peter 3, 3, first, I'm sorry, second Peter 3, 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Mm. Anybody hear those? Uh, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Here we hear it again. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Water first time, fire the second time. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything will be destroyed in this way. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought Ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And speed, it's coming. That day, well, that's good. You ought to live holy and godly lives and speed, it's coming. This is a warning for us. Just like with Sardis, it's a warning for the entire church. It's a warning for USA Today. But it's also an encouragement that we can speed the time of Jesus coming. How does that work? I don't know. But, but we know there's two things that we see here. One is we come to faith. And the second one is that we live holy and godly lives. Jesus is not coming back for a, a, a filthy bride. He's not coming back for a prostitute. He's coming back for a pure bride. So when we are holy and ready, that's when he can come back. And also, he sees God is patiently waiting for people to put their faith in him. There is his, his, those who have been predestined, that God is predestined. He's waiting for them, the last person to put their faith in Jesus before Jesus comes again. When will it happen? How many more? We don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. If you are supposed to put your faith in Jesus and you're waiting, waiting, you're to wait, wait, and it turns out you're the one who kept us out of heaven a little bit longer, or you kept Jesus from coming back again. When we get to heaven, I'm gonna let you have it. All right. So if you're if you're meant to, if you know God's calling you, put your faith in Jesus. Uh, and if you are, if we have sin in our life, deal with it. Speed the day. How much longer do we want to wait here? Right. How much longer do we want to put up with all this this garbage? Right. Are we ready? When Jesus comes again, will he come as our judge or our savior? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe you're that speed bump. You're keeping Jesus from speeding here. You know, are you, are you holding us up? But maybe you are the one Jesus is waiting to put your faith in him. Do it today. And as Christians, are we speeding the day? The church is not ready, obviously. If 6% have a biblical worldview, the church is not ready. We are not a pure bride. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride, not a prostitute. Are, are, we, are you slowing us down? Are we slowing it down? Uh, are we sleepy? Are we almost dead? Are we almost coma, almost ready to die? Are you willing to say, God, wake me up? 
wake me up. What we need, what do we need to remember? Remember, we talked about remembering. What do we need to remember? What do we need to repent of? As our prayer, God revive me. We need to be revived. If we're dying or we're dead spiritually, God, we all need revival. God revive me. The church in the USA is asleep. It's almost dead. 6% biblical worldview. 2% of millennials. It's getting to get worse. It's almost that unless the church wakes up, the USA has no hope. There, unless there is a revival, we're going to face judgment. It's revival or judgment. There can be no hope for this country until there's a revival in the church. It has to start in the church. And after it starts in the church, then it could become a spiritual awakening that spreads to the culture. But nothing can happen until there's a revival in the church and there can be no revival in the church until there's a revival in our hearts, each one of us in our hearts. The USA is in decline. It's like Sardis. It's dying. You don't have to be brilliant to figure this out. And this whole coronavirus is is, is just another step in that, that spiral downward before we become a nosedive. Look at spiritually, morally. We are in a nosedive. It's terrifying what we're seeing and hearing. We've been talking about this the whole way. Only a spiritual awakening can save this country. Will it happen? I don't know. But I do know that unless there's a revival, it's not going to happen. There won't be a spiritual awakening. It has to be a revival first. But it, it could still happen. There could still be a spiritual awakening. I've talked about this before. After the American Revolution, the country was a mess. They, the 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 The... the intellectuals in Europe said the great experiment of democracy has failed. The USA will not survive. We are in a moral freefall. We were a nation of alcoholics. The, the atheism of the French Revolution had seeped in and, and poisoned this country. Women weren't safe on the streets. It was horrible. It looked like we were finished just as we were getting started. But what happened? The second great awakening. The second great awakening turned this country around. Unbelievable thousands put their faith in Jesus. Hundreds of churches started. A massive awakening, a revival in the church, a spiritual awakening in the culture. And and it, it saved this country. That's our only hope. It's only hope. But we have to wake up. Like Sardis, we have not kept watch. And we haven't listened to God's warnings. I remember when 9-11 happened 20 years ago. 9-11. And everybody oh, you know, flocked into the churches and God bless America. But I remember saying to warning everybody, listen, <clears throat> this isn't about God bless America. This is about America blessing God. This is about America turning back to God. It's about the church turning to God. He's warned us. And if we don't respond, this is just the beginning. And it felt, I feel like it felt on deaf ears set 20 years later. We're worse than ever morally, spiritually, the church, the country. We are now on a cliff. It's revival or judgment. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Are we sardines, dead fish spiritually? How is God speaking to us? We, we need a revival. Are you willing to say, God, revive my heart? Revive me. Use me to help my church experience revival. You are, you are our only hope. The only hope for our country is a spiritual awakening. How is, how is God convicting us, each of us individually? How is He convicting us as churches? How is he convicting us? 
we need the Holy Spirit's power to do this in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit's power to do this as churches. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We cannot do this. We cannot do this. And maybe as we're praying about that, about our own personal revival, maybe you can't be revived because you're still dead. You've never been brought to life. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You're still dead in your sins and your transgressions, following the ways of this world and the spirit of of the air. You're following Satan still. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. Maybe you're still dead. You've never been brought to life. That's the first step. Before you can be revived, you've got to come alive. And that can only happen by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He came to give us life and life to the full. You can have that life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what John 3.16 is talking about. You can First step is coming to life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? You can do that now. God, I repent repent of my sin. I repent of the garbage. I repent of anything I've done or am doing that goes against your word. I ask you to forgive me through the cross of Jesus Christ, His death on that cross for me, His resurrection from the dead for me. I put my faith in Him. My faith in Him. I give my life to Jesus. Father, I pray that everyone who's listening to this, that they would be convicted to be revived. And if anybody who's listening to this has never put their faith in you, that they would not be able to walk away from this. This sermon, this challenge from Revelation 3, they would not be able to walk away with a second of peace until they put their faith in Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. you got a family member, a friend, a church, a Bible study, a co-worker, someone that you can tell so they can be excited for you and help you grow. And if you don't have anybody to tell, email me, nhncc at comcast.net. And I will be excited and I will help you grow and I'll help you get connected wherever you are, okay? But I'm, we're praying for revival. We're praying for the Holy Spirit's power. Wait till you hear the next couple of verses next time. <laughs>